Hello and welcome back to part two of uh, the career counselling, multicultural and life-based values approach to career counselling and advocacy. So we have discussed what values are and what I would like to start with is Dwayne Brown's addition to Gottfriedson's theory and the possible applications that we can use these for in career counselling. I think um, there's a really good guide for questioning of our clients and in particular because uh, Brown does a really good has a really good way of looking at various cultural factors that many people have not con necessarily considered um, in their research. And so we will get into that later. But his major questions are, does the client have occupational alternatives? And do the demands of entrance into an occupation match the characteristics of the client? So we talked about earlier matching our aptitude, our values, our achievements, our personality, and the various different things that we might need to look at into a, into a career. So are we looking at choices that are appropriate for the client? And once we've sort of looked at different alternatives, is the client satisfied with those alternatives? And if not, is the dissatisfaction a result of uh, compromising interests or uh, sex type, gender-based or racial or ethnic perceptions? And there are some wonderful questions in the Brown text around teasing out these ideas that maybe I can't do a career because I am A, B, C, or D. And does sexual orientation cause concern about the appropriateness of one or more of the occupations being considered? And this goes back to Gottfriedson's theories. So has the client, client really restricted themselves? Um, because of a lack of self-knowledge, uh, because of a lack of knowledge about occupations, or because they have assumed or not examined sex role types and racial or ethnic stereotypes. These all could place undue restrictions on occupational choice and are very important to be looked at when we are engaging in a career um, counseling program with a client and is the client also aware of the various pathways to the occupations chosen and do they have that confidence we've talked about self-efficacy before and self-confidence that these different pathways can be within their means and have these, have they just thought, no, I can't do it and eliminated occupational alternatives because they don't yet have the skill or the knowledge? So are they thinking that maybe they can't be upskilled? These are all really important questions to lay as the foundation of your program. So you can start off getting to know the client, maybe do some assessments and then 
revisit these after you've done that and just tease out whether there are some self-imposed restrictions that can actually be worked with and changed in the process of counselling. And so a values-based approach emphasises the central importance of our values in both career counselling and occupational choice. And those values are framed in those questions that were just asked on in the previous slide. So values are defined as cognitive structures that are the basis for self-evaluation and for one's evaluation of others. So I've already defined for you what values are and they are something of import to us, to our life choices, to our family, to our education, to our career, our love, our wealth, our friends, and our health. And are these values, what affective dimension do they have? Are they the primary basis of goal-directed behavior, or are they the stimulus for the development of behavior-related um, to goal attainment. So if I don't have the skills in that question number five where they've eliminated certain career options because they don't have the skills, are they basically eliminating themselves for legitimate reasons or can we get some motivation and stimulus for them to develop new skills and therefore development behavior around achieving the goal of a new career? And values in this approach are considered as more fundamental traits than interests because concerns for our values should be the primary consideration in career counselling because those values decide for us many of the choices that we're going to make if we are unaware of them. So bringing that self-awareness of our values and educating clients around what their values are without precluding other constructs, so all the other variables in our tests that we use, just to be very aware of the values. And as many uh, theorists assert, as Brown is asserting, as Amundsen, Borgen, Gottfriedson, Super, um, <clears throat> life Role counselling should be how we might consider or reinterpret career counselling. It's because of the interaction among our life roles, so our family, our um, education, our health, etc. And that impacts our careers and the unlikely outcome that an occupation can satisfy every part of our lives and being very aware of that. So yes, we do spend most of our life in work and if you can love what you do, you've heard the saying, you never work a day in your life, uh, but there's very few rare privileged people that have that um, luxury to love everything about their work and to just live it. So maybe we have to look at how we can survive and exist in a in a position that pays us so that we can maintain our family and our health and our lifestyle. So it's just a reframe of what career counselling could be. So, and as you know, I like the idea of life role counselling rather than career counselling because as I have mentioned previously, depending upon what's happening in our lives, 
that will very, very highly impact our career and our job and vice versa. What's happening in our job highly impacts us in our other life if we aren't living and loving the work that we do. And so the values-based approach assumes three types of values, the cultural values, the work, and the life values. And cultural values can, as an overarching idea, and these can all be teased out further, divided into five categories, social relations, time, relationship to nature, activity, and self-control. And work values are those values that clients expect that they will be fulfilled as a result of choosing or entering an occupation. And the life values component is those, are those values that clients expect to have satisfied as a result of the choices they make. So their work, their ability to have leisure, maybe their goals as a citizen to be a good citizen and um, contribute to society. And then their relationships to significant others. And understanding these three types of values provides us with information needed to lifestyle plan. So that goes back to the idea of life role counselling rather than just specifically career counselling. And Brown further defines career problems as those that are sort of based in not being able to decide because you don't have enough information. And then you have that anxiety, will I make the wrong choice? And, you know, will I not be good at the job that I do? And that incongruence between the person and the job that they do, as well as that incongruence between the work role that they do and the family role or the leisure role or the friend role. So values-based approach can really encapsulate looking at all those different components of what goes into career decision-making. And further, Life career counselling from a values perspective is based on the following five assumptions. So highly prioritised work values are the primary basis of career choice. When we choose an occupation and we try to match it to our values, it can be constrained because we are structuring our life in a way that will prioritize life values, not necessarily career values alone. And so it's kind of trying to match those things. And the most successful decision makers are most likely to be those individuals who have a future or past future time orientation, not being focused on, um, oh, I did really badly here, but basically, because I've done this in the past, I think I can do this in the future. So that's the past future. So looking at what we've learned, and remember my favorite saying, um, we learn more from our mistakes than things that sail, we sail through. And in this values-based approach, we also have to really look at the differences between an individualistic society and culture and those with a collectivist society and culture. So we are very much making a distinction between what might happen in 
Asia per se versus a Western-based culture. And that's not to generalise because there are people that are very collectivist in Western-based cultures such as natives and First Nations people. But clients with an individualist social value often are made to think about and estimate how their personal characteristics match with occupations that might be successful for them. And number four, sources of job satisfaction will vary for people who hold individualist or collateral uh, collectivist social values. And that again goes back to where you place your family and your culture and your feeling of a citizen in your value system. And finally, job success as determined by the supervisor at your work or employer will be determined, be determined regardless of what your social relations value is. Because if your supervisor or co-workers are not really supportive of you, that can lead to a lack of job success, regardless of how good you are. And we have talked a little about that, but we may get to that at another point. And next, so in a values-based approach, sensitivity and attention has to therefore be given to cultural work and life values as you go through the stages of career counselling. So when you first meet your client, you identify what works for them and how they identify themselves, what their self-identity means to them. That's client identification. You build a relationship because you're not going to have them trust you if you don't have a relationship. So they're not going to tell you all the pertinent pieces and you do need to know a lot. You will work through goal setting and assessment of those goals. Are they achievable? How are we going? What's the um, progress on those? What are the markers and evaluation on that? That's the assessment piece. How do we get around things? How do we problem solve? And then finally, we terminate. Now, often we think of career counselling as being more short-term um, and hopefully we are more short-term in our career counselling, but sometimes it's not as easy as that. And I think with COVID-19, we are going to find that. So maybe it's, it might start out as career counselling. How, how do we work through um, goal setting and what jobs, etc. But, you know, if we have a client that's walking in our doors who can't satisfy Maslow's basic needs of food, shelter and how, um, clothing, etc., maybe we become a crisis career counsellor and link them up to resources. So just keep that in mind when we are talking about career counselling. And sometimes the needs that present to us in our office are not necessarily career counselling in the traditional sense, the conservative sense that um, Dr Leanne is not, does not belong to. <laughs> And so perhaps the most important issue to be addressed during the process is to help the client crystallise their understanding of themselves and prioritise their cultural work and life values in the context of their life roles. And as I just said, if their priority is to get money, it will be 
our counselling will start there. It will start with how do we get them food, clothing, shelter, and that is going to be the priority. So culturally sensitive interviewing and all these different card sorts, there's all kinds of different um, little tools that we can gather in our uh, career and standardized values clarification surveys are really helpful techniques for understanding the client's cultural work and life values. And the life values inventory, as discussed in Brown, is an empirically derived values assessment instrument developed from the principles of what we've just said, client identification, relationship building, goal setting and assessment, problem solving, termination, all within this cultural work and life value system. And this is based on my prior mentor, um, Emerson and Borgen's work as well. So Emerson's work. And at the end of the process, clients should be aware of their values in the context of how they live, what their roles in life are, and so how those values influence their motivation to do something, how those values influence their ability to goal set, how those values can influence their own ability to evaluate themselves and hence achieve satisfaction and be able to evaluate others. So it's sort of like a triangular model. So if we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our first one, of course, is going to be, do they have food, shelter and housing? And are they feeling safe, right? So once we get that done, then we can sort of look at the the triangle as what is universal, so the basis, what's human nature? And whilst we have various cultures and various differences and uh, collective, collateral, uh, individualistic, um, being in becoming, all these different types of ways of being, there are some human universal traits of nature that are inherited and believed and that is um, the right to um, being able to access food and water. Um, so those things are universal. So this it's about teasing these out and how do we then apply that specific culture to a group or category and that is learned. So you're not born with that but you learn that and we've discussed that in Lifespan Development how when we originally start and are born from the womb, we pick up things as we go, even from day dot, but it becomes more societally influenced as we grow and develop. And then there's us. So what is the you in you? Uh, what is specific to you? Even though you have this family, even though you have these things happening, what have you got as specific to you? How are you different to your sibling who's brought up in the exact same environment? And what is inherited and learned? So specifically within the family, mum and dad, or carer, primary carer, um, or institution. So these are the things that we are looking at when we are developing our program more intensely after we've sort of got to know the different pieces of our client and built a relationship. And so with culture change and, the, and that individualistic piece at the top of the pyramid, 
We have many different uh, places we can put ourselves on a line from simple to complex and those different pieces fall under our beliefs, our concepts such as, you know, maybe it's religion or spirituality versus being atheist and secular. Maybe aesthetically, um, whether we, we like to have this beautiful life and a very, um, you know, complex kind of aesthetic value, or whether we just want to live simply and have little distance from prestige, so not be one of the, the nth degree um, creme de la creme necessarily, but just be grounded in life. Institutional and social values um, also impact our culture. So are we sort of family-based or do we have a lot of filial kinship? Do we have formal organic solidarity with societal values and formal organisations? And is that a separate to our family? And do we have political sort of things that we are not aware of, um, whether we're equalitarian, like very equal and everyone contributes in society to the same goal, or are we very hierarchical? And as we discussed in the last um, class, often a structure might start out as flat and very sort of equal and everybody inputs but as a company grows they become very hierarchical because it seems to make things work better and that's the same in politics now economically we have some other cultural things where we're looking at family obligations communism like everybody shares everything um, to some social democracies where the state redistributes or we have the feudal pyramid where uh, it's just 90% of the people are living and working for others and 10% of the people order everybody else but we're bartering like exchange exchange or market capitalism banking and then credit and very much now one of the things that is happening in, say, for example, Malaysia, is cash is king. However, it's changing, and COVID-19 has had a real impact on that because people don't want to touch cash because it's dirty. It's one of the most dirty things we can have, and it could easily transmit COVID-19. So people, guess what? They're using credit and plastic and sometimes just tapping their phone. So all this technology, again, that's that acceleration of technology. That's impacting all of these things as well. So technologically, um, are we just the hunter-gatherer farming or are we very informational and industrial? And um, having, having industry shut down and finding out what that's doing to the climate and how good it is for the climate not having all this industry, are we now going to reconsider and what is the issues of the increase in nuclear power um, kind of going on politically now between Russia and um, America and China and around the world? So we have a lot of different things that are impacting us and that 
leads us to have different cultures and it's not as simple it's more complex and many people have found that they're revisiting their values during COVID-19 and are wanting to change and wanting to go back to more simple. So we are looking at some very interesting times and I think this is a very seminal and exciting time to be in as hard and torrid as it is. There are some chances for really positive change. So, but we need to note that when we are working with our clients, we need to note where they sit on all of these um, scales. Are they, you know, they want to lead a more simple life or are they enjoying complexity? And where are they more complex? Are they more complex in their acceptance of technology, but they really, really believe we should be just very simple in our living very family-based, very equal in our political um, and economic drives. So these are things that we are going to tease out as a career counsellor. <laughs> and we do this in other counselling, like psychotherapy. So I do want you to consider this. So let's just move on a little bit more with a values-based multicultural career counselling model, which is the VBMCC. And it's based on the work of Dwayne Brown, but he sourced that from Norm Amundsen. And Norm, as I have told you, is a prior mentor, and I've worked with him and studied under him, and I feel very blessed in my career to have worked with both him and Bill Borgen. So this is based on Dwayne's work, Brown's work is based on the culmination of research done by people such as Norm and Bill, um, Emerson and Borgen, sorry, uh, on values and multiculturalism from psychology and other variety of literature bases. And my work is also included in this. Um, so right now there's uh, some research going on based on the work that I started back in 2010. So this assumes that values can be defined within a culture and must be addressed as truths. So not a universal truth. That's that postmodern uh, perspective that truths are sort of contextually based and very much so the case in career counselling as well as in, um, as I said, psychotherapy and counselling in general. And it's unique in that it is approaching the integration of advocacy in the career counselling process. And we've had um, some really great discussions as a small class just about the ethics and the difficulty around what is advocacy and how can we best advocate for our client and coming to this with the very real lens of not fixing but rather advocating for what is best for the client. And that means listening to the client and putting the client as the center of our counseling. And so values-based multicultural career counseling, VBMCC, has eight core areas that it addresses. And these include those cultural variables, a culturally appropriate relationship. And I really love the way that Brown discusses how you can inadvertently, just by being a wonderful person and a genuinely caring person, maybe make some culturally cultural faux pas when you first meet somebody. 
And it's always good to revisit these things. It just reminds me of my position and just revisiting um, the way that I am and very much the way that I am in, say, a society that is not um, as does not allow such independence for women especially and especially women of education and independence from a individualistic society. So that cultural appropriate, culturally appropriate relationship is really important. And then in number three, who's making the decision, the facilitation of the decision-making process? This is this collaborative piece. But in some cultures, and we know this to be true in Asia, you like being told what to do. And I just think going back to what I was just saying about my being an independent woman from an individualistic society, I tend to be very high on the scale of not liking being told what to do and very high on the scale of independently making my own decision, but very informed and very educated. So looking at all the pieces of information. And so who makes the decision may differ to what might be a traditional thought. So for example, if I am uh, walking into a career counselling centre as myself, I will make the decision. And my counsellor will assist in that and sort of show me different ways and different things. If I was a Chinese young man who brought my grandmother into the session, it may be the grandmother or the family that is making the decision and not the young man. It might not be Tuan Teng or Hong. It may be his grandmother, Wing Fei. Or it may be the whole family. So it's just really important to understand that not all the time does the client who's sitting in the office actually make the decision about their career alone. And that's an important piece of information for those of us who are very independent and very, um, uh, very committed to making our own decisions and accepting the responsibility for those decisions. And then we're looking at, fourthly, the identification of career issues. So that's that assessment piece. So is crisis career counselling needed? And that's where I was talking about. Do they need food, shelter, housing? Like what, what's going on? And there's a number of different qualitative assessment devices. And remember, again, with postmodern theory, we are looking at qualitative assessment, not quantitative. So we use quantitative pieces as a guideline but then we look at patterns that are established, so pattern identification across the life, achievement profiling, so that's where we do the aptitude tests and their achievements and what they feel and think, and then we can do a lifeline, and lifelines are very wonderful tools and techniques. So while there are eight core pieces to the BBMCC, I'm going to focus on the first four and then go on to the next four and the last part of this podcast. So uh, if we look at a values, uh, the VBMCC, uh, as adapted from Emerson by Brown, on page 109 of the career counselling text, he's got a very great visual of how that works and how 
we can describe patterns and apply them and look at things in a various way and use questions. So identify an activity from the client's leisure or education. That's really something they enjoy. And then think specifically about a time when it was really enjoyable, positive, and then compare it and contrast that with when it was a very negative thing for them. Moving down to two, we use questions to get a full description of those events and the positive and the negative um, activity. And then we can move into what does this information actually tell you about you as a person? And we can seek to draw out the client's skills, goals, interests from that one activity. And that can lead us to suggest, make suggestions regarding career planning and career choice because we can list those findings in the general characteristics. And in number two, we have another one, another way we can look at it, and we can describe sequentially in detail the positive and negative experiences. So first we have the description. From that description, it evolves some patterns that we see. And then from those patterns, we can apply it to how this activity may give us some insights into career choice or planning. So when we've identified that, the client's asked to think about those things and move on to the next piece. And that would be the achievement profiling. So achievement profiling, after we've done the activity of looking through and asking questions and finding out what was positive, what was negative about a specific really enjoyed activity in the client's life, we need to analyze how that helps the person that we're working with. So we need to do an in-depth analysis of an individual's achievement over a specific period of time, lasting either from a few weeks to a lifetime. This is where we need to, as career counsellors, decide how big a piece of work we are doing with a client. And so it may be a longer career counselling. It may be a few weeks. Uh, we're looking at maybe eight weeks. Um, and sometimes it's less, but it just depends on, from our previous thing, whether that person is able to do the, a lot of work themselves or whether they need case management on a one-to-one -one basis. So with the achievement profiling, we continue and we analyze by examining the goals that the person was trying to accomplish in this enjoyed activity, what their skills and abilities were that they used, any interactions with a context in which that achievement occurred, including so what was stopping them, restraining them from doing something, and what was helping them move forward? So what facilitated them? What are the forces that are happening? And if we want to place it in the COVID-19 picture, that may have restrained our actions, like going outside. It may have um, prevented us from seeing people and being social, but it may have facilitated a lot more learning. Um, because it's free courses, there's time. 
um, hopefully. And we may have been able to have the luxury of being able to facilitate new learning in this time. So it's always looking at positives and minus, pros and cons in context. And then we look at the emotional affect, the highs and the lows produced by those achievements. So it may be that we suffer sometimes very high feelings of depression because we're not able to socialize and we're not able to go out and do the things that we wanted to do in COVID-19. However, we may get very great feelings of self-efficacy and self-confidence because we're learning a new skill and we may feel really proud of ourselves when we complete that achievement or complete that assignment or um, have a really great discussion with somebody about new learnings. And so this activity achievement profiling can be used in a multiple um, list of ways, including a skills identification process. And it also helps clients understand themselves a little more and gives them some coping mechanisms around um, understanding themselves. So now we come to the lifeline and this is Norm Emmonson's work and it uses a variation of the lifeline technique that traditionally we've used it before and seen in theories where you chart your futures from the present now to retirement and you map your ups and downs of your life and the result may be a depiction of the lives that looks pretty much like the stock market right now. <laughs> No, maybe it's not all down, um, but it's actually been up and down and it's now on and up. So that's quite interesting. But the roller coaster design can be really useful in showing, like visually showing and summarizing for a client that's coming to counseling what their life is about and the highs and lows on their lifeline and how their emotions and circumstances have led to that or it helped them in that. So we have some examples of um, earliest childhood memory and then grandparents and first day of school and then high school and a basic level of happiness and from birth through to present but then looking on as to what might be the factors that will help them be happy in later life. So if your life expectancy now is like 80 years, 85 years, um, what will help you to achieve that internal peace from making good life decisions? And the second life example is a little bit not so up and down. It, it, and at the end, it actually shows unsuccessful transitions and recovery points and it illustrates trauma and how those can really impact us. So it's really interesting to look at the different samples of the lifeline just to see and this is a really great exercise to do for yourself. And we shall see if we have time to do one together for ourselves. So if the lifeline really uh, gives us a, a wonderful basis of understanding our client in many ways. It helps us to know a client's cultural values and helps us to move forward on the types of assessment devices we use. So remember I was talking about trying different online tests and seeing what were strengths and what was limitations. Now you've got an understanding of some of them, guess what? 
you've now found out about your client, now you might want to look at using one of those tools as an assessment device. And it also, the Lifeline works as a starting point to discuss. And remember, we have said that tests and assessments are not the Bible. They are not the Torah, the Talmud, the Quran. They are a starting point for appreciating work and lifestyle values of the client. And the Life Values Inventory is designed to measure those values and provide a basis for you to start planning an overall lifestyle that will satisfy as many as you can of the individual's most prized values. And then just keeping in mind with COVID-19, this may not be the start because you might be doing crisis counselling where you're finding them food and shelter. And the work role is unlikely to satisfy all the values held. If we live for our work and we are not happy, that means that work is not providing us happiness. So if you have a, a relationship with a significant other, so your family members, your husband, your wife, your partner in life, your child, your leisure roles, those things need to be included in the life plan because work simply cannot satisfy all those things. And disabilities, sexual orientation, concerns about discrimination, mental health problems, family and group issues, geographic locations all need to be taken into consideration when we're looking at preferred occupations and socioeconomic status. So it's a very complex piece to put all these things together. And the questions that need to be considered, these are wonderful questions that should be answered in our career counselling. And we're going to finish off this part with these questions for you to contemplate. So do you believe that you're limited by your cultural ethnic background? And if yes, why? What's the basis of that? Have you limited your occupational choices based on your cultural ethnic background? And have you only considered occupations that are traditionally entered into by people of your ethnic or racial background? Point two, gender. Has your gender limited the occupational choices you have considered? And if yes, how? Are these expectations related to planning for marriage, having children, or what non-traditional gender role careers have you considered? Has your sexual orientation entered into your career planning? If yes, how? Are you afraid of being found out as being gay, LGBTQI? And do you have a chronic mental health problem? Like, are you constantly anxious, depressed? Do you have bipolar? Are you BPD? Like, if you have a chronic mental health problem, how has this problem influenced your thinking about jobs? And being depressed really does impact the way you think about jobs. Number five, have you ever been diagnosed with a mental or physical disability? And if you've got a label, we've talked about labeling before and why Dr. Leanne doesn't necessarily like to give labels on early on in childhood because they do carry a lifelong impact. 
if you've been diagnosed, how has this diagnosed influence, diagnosis influenced your thinking about your career? Has it limited you in some way? And are you free to pursue occupations any place internationally? So can you leave? Now, right now, no. <laughs> Very definitely no. COVID-19 has really, the context of this world has changed. So if no, why not? Well, we literally cannot leave the country. We can't even cross borders in our countries. You know, like it's, yes. So this one, are we free to pursue occupations any place internationally? Well, physically no, but guess what? I'm conducting these online, these lessons, these podcasts online. They are heard around the world. I have people listening to them in Canada, America, Australia, England, and New Zealand, and other parts of Asia. So actually, COVID-19 has opened up international work wherever we want to be placed, or even if we are limited. And have your limited occupational, have you limited your occupational choices because of concerns about being able to afford the educational requirements needed for a job? And again, um, COVID-19 has really decimated the university sector. We, in Australia, there's 21,000 jobs at risk. Um, around America and Canada, colleges and universities are closing. Um, in Malaysia, um, there are similar concerns and um, enrollment is dropping and decreasing people having to work, um, going part-time, so extending the length of the degree that they thought they were only going to do in two years or three years. It's now going to be a longer time frame. And these are all financial and realistic um, challenges and choices. But that comes back to the being able to afford it. And affording educational requirements doesn't just rest in finances. It rests in time and it rests in mental health capacity as well as a number of other family um, constraints at this time. So I think this is a really good place to leave this particular piece. And we are going to finish part two here. And I'd just like you to review um, those questions I've just asked. Have a think about those because we will be discussing more in pieces and more in class, especially around um, the gender role stereotypes, the sexual orientation and the mental disabilities and physical disabilities and how that may limit us in our choices but is that actually a real barrier or is it something self-imposed so we shall see you soon